Got to move my bald head into the shade. <laughs> well, I sometimes get reports that the people over there watch us because they'll come over and tell us we watch you and our kids out here. And sometimes they watch your kids too. So this may be a great testimony for them. Hopefully they're hearing this. And uh, if you're joining us over there, welcome. So uh, wouldn't it be great if the Lord came back right now? Yeah, I mean, honestly, singing outside with this, like this makes me go, wow. This could happen right now. This is great. Come, Lord Jesus. So, Open your Bibles up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We are going to finish our time in chapter 1 here this morning. Can you hear me okay? Okay. If you can't, let me know. And also, if you're in the sun and you want to move, as the sun moves this way, the shade will move this way. And so if you want to move, don't feel like you're disrupting uh, by moving. I want you to picture a man and a woman who are at the altar, and they're looking at each other, and they're about to say their wedding vows, and they say to each other, in the name of God, I take you, my husband, my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and death, to love and to cherish until we part by death. This is my solemn promise. When a man and a woman make those vows to each other, they are committing to unconditional love for the other person. And their vows are promises of absolute commitment, unconditional commitment. It's not a commitment that says, you know, if you're nice to me, I'll keep my vows. Or if you're worthy, I'll keep my vows. It's saying I'm unconditionally going to love you. We could call that marital love. And here in our text, we're going to see a different type of love. It's called brotherly love. And in the same way that we are to unconditionally promise to that person that we're marrying, that we will love them for the rest of our lives, we are to unconditionally love those brothers and sisters in the church. In fact, look down at 1 Peter chapter number 1. You can see, here's the call he has for us to have this brotherly love that loves one another. So we're committed, we're to be committed to this brotherly love of one another within the context of the local church here. And so this is the command we're looking at. Love one another. We've looked at three commands. This is the fourth one. This is how we are to live out our salvation. We have been given salvation by God so that we would use it. Yes, it gives us eternal life. And yes, we'll be with him forever in heaven. But while we are on this earth, this salvation empowers us to do what God wants us to do, and that is, in this text, to love one another. We looked last week at two facets of this love. First, who are those who are to love? And that's those who are converted. And so we saw that in verse number 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And then we saw the objects of our love. Who are the objects of our love? And we say it's for a brotherly love, a brothers and sisters. So the objects of our love are those brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, we are to love the world, everyone in the world, I should say, not the world uh, as far as the values, but the people of the world. And yes, we are to love even our enemies. But here, it's a special type of unique love that we are to have for those brothers and sisters in Christ. And the third facet of this love we're going to look at today is this love is a commitment. It's a commitment to sacrificially, voluntarily, 
even if it means suffering to, to benefit another person without expecting anything in return. So let's look at our text, and let's read 1 Peter chapter 22, verse through verse 25. I'll read aloud as you follow along. Would you stand as we read God's Word? This would be a good time to have a time to stand and reverence the Word of God. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. So there's the main command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news, is the gospel that was preached to you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit will bless the preaching of the word today. And I don't know where people's hearts are, but you do. And I don't even know who's all listening to this. But I pray that those who are without Christ, the word will be planted in their heart, and you will cause it by the power of the Holy Spirit to come to life. And those of us in Christ here, I pray that we will be motivated by what you have done for us to show that same love for our brothers and sisters. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's a story of a young boy who was walking down the streets of Chicago in the late 1800s, and he was on his way to Sunday school. You might not know this, but Sunday schools were started to actually teach children to read. Many children in these cities were illiterate, so they started up Sunday schools to teach them to read, but also to teach them the Bible at the same time. So here's one of these boys going to this Sunday school class, and he's walking down the street, and someone stopped him and invited them to their Sunday school class. And... This little boy said, no, no, I'm going to this one over there. And the, the person said, well, why, why is that? What is it that, about that class that you like? And he says, well, there's a person there, and he loves me. He's shown me Christian love. And this, this young man was motivated to walk a long distance to go to this Sunday school class because he knew there was someone there that loved him. And true Christian sacrificial love is powerful, and it's life changing. So we're studying about love this morning. In fact, look down at verse number 22. You can see the word love is used twice. In English, there's the word love is used twice. You can see in the middle there it says brotherly love. And there's a comma. And then there's the word love again. These are actually two different words in the original language, which was Greek. The first one speaks of a phileo love. It's the Greek word phileo, which is the idea of brotherly love. It's the idea of these are the objects of your love that you're supposed to love. You're supposed to love the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the first word describes those of whom we are to love. That's the family of God. The second one is the word agape, and it describes the type of love we're to have for the family of God. The Greek uh, word, uh, the root word is agape. The verb is uh, agapao, and you might have heard that word if you've been in church for very long, because even if you don't know Greek probably a couple words you've heard, and that's probably one of them. And that's mostly because that word describes how God has shown his love for us. The word agape is the word that describes God's love for us. We as Americans, we hear the word love a lot, don't we? Love is a word that's been cheapened in our society, and we think of love many times in our American society as 
feelings or affection. I love ice cream or I love my dog or I love, uh, I love the Giants. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, that's wrong, wrong place. The Dodgers, I love the Dodgers. <laughs> sorry about that. And, and we're really saying we have a strong affection or feelings or a like for something. And, and the truth is, that is connected to love in some sense. Like, there, there's a, the result of love are those types of feelings and affections. But that is not in itself love, or it's not the love that we're talking about here. You know, I, I used to help in a public school ministry on Mondays. Did that for 12 years when I was in South Carolina. And we'd see these kids, you know, 10, 11, sometimes 8 or 9. And, you know, it's like a 10-year-old boy, and he goes up to this girl, and he's like, this is my girlfriend. I love her. Like, what? And then, you know, and then, like, he's giving her a present for her birthday, and it's like a gold necklace. And you're like, I mean, that was a real thing I saw a boy give a girl once. And, you know, I don't think you know what love is. <laughs> you know, it's just a word that's been cheapened in our society. But genuine, true, agape love is actually something that is sacrificial and says, I'm willing to suffer inconvenience and discomfort and even death. It's not the idea that you make me feel a certain way or I'm attracted to you because of something. In fact, I would just say this. Sometimes people can write songs, Christian songs, and they talk about how like attractive either God is or we are, and it's kind of like that's the reason we love. And attraction isn't the reason we love, right? It's not... It's not what love is. Love is actually an active, faithful carrying out of a promise that we have made. This past week at camp, I uh, oh, let me go get something here. Venture into the sun here. This past week at camp, I spoke to first elementary and then middle school and then high school, and they made these shirts up like this. You can see the shirt here, and uh, it's kind of a cute little shirt. It says "Do justly from a distance." <laughs> love mercy from six feet apart <laughs> and then walk humbly with your God that requires no distance that's kind of a cute little shirt kind of playing off the whole COVID thing and Micah 6, 8 but what's interesting I wore this shirt and I talked to the, the young people up front and I said how do we know what justice is how do we know what love is you know we talk about justice a lot in our society we talk about love how do we know what it is well, we know what it is because God is just. God is love. And if you truly want to know what justice is and love is, you have to look at the one who is the source of love, the source of justice. This past week when I was at this camp, one of our children was playing at the pool, and a bee came and stung her, I think on the ear or something, on the face. I don't know. Where was it at? Somewhere. It was very painful. Why do bees sting? Because it's in their nature to sting, right? In fact, one of the really cool things that happened this past week was they saw this tarantula hawk. You know what that is? It's like this big wasp. It's huge. And it came and it stung a tarantula and killed it in front of all the kids. In fact, if you go to Carl, he can show you on his phone the video of that. Did you actually catch it killing it or just who knows? But it's, it's pretty amazing. Why does a tarantula hawk do that? Because it's, it's its nature. That's what they do. Why does a two-year-old throw itself in the ground and cry out and scream? Because they're by nature sinners. Why do sinners sin? Because by nature they sin. But when we look at God, why does God show love to us? Because his nature is love. God shows love because God by nature is love. And we read that here this morning. God is love. In fact, let me do this. I'm going to read some, some text 
from the scripture about God's love for you this morning, and you listen, you can write this down if you want to, but listen to these texts of scripture and see if you can hear the active, sacrificial commitment of our Father to love us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. So here he sacrificially gives of his own son, and son gives his own life for our benefit, that those who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How about 1 John 4, 9? In this, the love of God was made manifest to us. So this is how God showed his love. God sent his only son into the world. So God gave his sin to be punished for us and took death upon him. Why? So that we might live through him. Or how about this one? Ignore the blowing papers. It's okay. <laughs> Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us. And it was unconditional. Even while we were still sinners. You know, some people have this idea that God looks at the channels of time and sees these people, if they're good people, then he... That's not how it works. Even though we're still sinners, what does it say? Christ died for us. We could go on and on. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive. So he loved us and he saved us by his grace. And so when God loves, notice there's always an action associated with it. There's always a promise that comes with that, a promise of action. And so look down in 1 Peter 1, 22. You can't really see this in the English, but if you see where it says, love one another, the word love there is an aorist active imperative. So imperative means it's a command. Active means it's something you're to do. And aorist, actually, the, the, the grammar of this verb indicates that this is a commitment, uh, something you're to be devoted to. It's an unconditional commitment. It's similar to a marriage vow. When you make a marriage vow, you say, I commit to you. And of course, you're committing at that moment, but it's for the rest of your marriage. And that's kind of what you see here, right here. Like You're committing to other believers. It's a, it's, you're devoted to this. This is what you're committed to do in your life. See, we have an anniversary today. Is that correct? And I think the Wongs had a 25th anniversary this past week as well. Is that right? The Wongs did that? How, how, how long is your guys' anniversary here? 40. I noticed that he answered that right away. That's pretty good. 40. That's good. Maybe he was reminded this morning. <laughs> Anyone else have an anniversary today or this week? <laughs> yes, it's that time of year here. When you, when you have an anniversary, it's a good time to remember the commitment that you made. You made to that person. And so we are, I think that's kind of what Peter is doing here. He's like, remember the commitment you make? Like when you, when you came to Christ, when you were converted, you made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And that meant you were committed to everything he's committed to that he loves. And who does he love? It's his children. And then notice the description of this love. Verse 22, he says, it's a sincere brotherly love. Sincere has the idea that it's unhypocritical. In other words, you're not doing it for a show. You're not putting on a mask. You're not doing this so everybody can see you. It's not like, I'm going to do show love. And by the way, can I have it put in the church bulletin so everyone can know I did this? It's, that's not the idea here. That means you are demonstrating love without any ulterior motives. Some people kind of have the idea that they come to church and maybe they come so they can get some business in the church. You know, it's like, yeah, maybe if I go to this church, maybe I'll get some business. I was, before I was a pastor here, I was a pastor in a, a larger church. And honestly, I kind of heard that. No one would ever say that directly. But it's kind of like, that's the idea. It's kind of like, well, it's a bigger church. And, and sometimes that can be a temptation for churches like that. 
But it can be temptation for all of us to interact with people thinking about how is this going to benefit me? You know, it's like maybe if I invite this person over, they'll be a part of my pyramid scheme, you know? <laughs> or, or maybe if I do this, maybe this person will give me a job. That is not Christian love. That's conditional. That's, that's the idea that you're actually not being sincere in your love to that person. And then notice also, he says in verse 22, he says, we're to love one another. In other words, this is to be mutual. There's no such thing as Christian love that just goes one way. It's back and forth. Some people have in their minds that, well, those people who are to, to give financially are those people who have money. Those people who are to give of their time are those who have time. Those people who are to give of their gifts are the ones who have gifts. It's actually not what the Bible teaches. It's, it's not that those people, that someone else should give in that way. The idea is that we should all have this heart that no matter what our resources are, that we're willing to sacrifice for the good of another person. When, when you don't feel like giving, let me say it this way, when you don't feel like giving, I think that's the time you should give, and that's actually agape love. Agape love doesn't look at other people and say, well, they can do that, or someone else can do that. Agape love says, I will sacrificially give, even if I'm the one that is needy. I think one of the things that's sometimes shocking when you go visit uh, widows or shut-ins to encourage them, and I've done that myself, done that with my family, and you go there and you're thinking, I'm going to go there and I'm going to encourage this person and they're going to you know, hopefully cheer up and stuff. And you find many times those Christian widows and shut-ins, they actually try to encourage you. Yes. I can remember going to uh, Granny, and she passed away here back in May, and that's, of course, that's Carrie's mom. She's with the Lord in heaven now. I can remember going there, and it's like she's trying to give me chocolate. And, and I don't know if you visited her. She probably did the same thing for you. And one, one time we brought the teens over, and we sang to her at Christmas, and, and she's trying to get, you know, can I get you guys some waters? And we're like, I don't think you should be getting up. But what's interesting is those, those kind of people do that. Why? Because they, they enjoy being served. Don't get me wrong. They don't resist that. But like, their mindset is, I want to serve other people because they know what true Christian love is. I can remember going to some people's homes and they're going through some deep trials. Maybe someone just passed away or maybe, maybe there's something very difficult happening in their life at that moment and they'll turn to me and say, how's your family doing? How, how can I pray for you? How can... And you're thinking, I, actually, this isn't about me right now. This is about you. But where does that heart come from, though? It comes from a person that has this true agape love for someone else. Then notice down in verse 22, he says, this, this is a love for one another that's earnest. It's, you're to love one another earnestly. This in the Greek is a compound word, two words put together, which means outstretched, outstretched. And the idea behind this word is that you're reaching out with intensity, straining to help someone, to love them. This is a very interesting word. Actually, I found this word in, in uh, Matthew chapter 14. Remember this story? This is when Peter was in the boat, and the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and the storm raged. It was the middle of the night. It was dark. They're scared of their mind. They think they see a ghost on the water, but no, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus, and he's walking on the water. That's pretty amazing. And so Peter says, hey, can I get out of the boat and walk to you? So then God, by the power of God, allows, Jesus, by the power of God, allows Peter to do this. So Peter gets out, starts walking, and then what happens? He starts getting scared, sees a storm around him, starts to sink down. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that Jesus immediately reached out his hand. So that's the word we have here. Reached out his hand, and he took him and said, Oh, you of little faith, 
Why do you doubt? What a wonderful picture of what it looks like to reach out and to help someone. Here's Peter sinking, and ultimately because his faith was failing, and here's Jesus reaching out in love for Peter, saying, Peter, let me help you out here. Get in the boat. And I think as I think about our church, and just think about Christians in general, where people are struggling, aren't they? I mean, if we were to have people just stand up and say, here's, here's what's really going on in my life, I think we'd all be surprised to find out that everyone has something going on in their life. Some people are struggling financially. Some people are struggling with loneliness. Some people are struggling with relationships with their family members or their work relationships. Some, I should say this, all of us have spiritual battles we're facing. Satan is trying to destroy our lives, our friends' lives, our families' lives, our church. And so who is going to be there to help you? And who are you to help? Well, I think Christ wants us and is calling us here to reach out and earnestly love, to stretch out and love and help other people and pull them to Christ by the power and grace of God. Like I said, this past week I preached to teenagers and there was one particular young man that I talked to for quite a while after one of the services and uh, God was clearly working in his life. He's a believer and um, he's taking notes and I mean, in fact, everything I was saying, even while I was talking to him, he's writing it down. He's like, where was that in the Bible? And he's so very earnest and thirsty for the Lord. And he had just gone through and is going through a very deep trial in regard to his parents' marriage. And he was feeling alone and discouraged. And he just was in a very difficult place, but he definitely wanted God to work in his life. So we talked about a number of different things, but one of the things I talked to him about is I said, you need encouragement. You need someone in your life to, to reach out and lift you up in Christ and to pray for you and to help you. And one of the verses I took him to was Hebrews 3.13 that says, exhort one another daily, every day. You need someone to encourage, to exhort you daily while it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I told him if he, if he needs other people to, on a regular basis, encourage him and lift him up, you cannot spiritually survive on your own. You will sink and you will spiritually drown if you try to live the Christian life without Christ and without the help of other believers. And whether you're in a, a trial, whether you're in a deep uh, spiritual temptation right now, you need other people. To, to reach out and help you. And the natural option, you know, idea that people have is, I'm just going to back away. I'm just going to kind of be a recluse. I'm going to you know, I'm, I'm sink down into my problem to be by myself. And, and again, the danger is that you're going to spiritually drown. We need each other. And let me just say this to all of us in the church. If you're struggling right now with a, a spiritual uh, temptation, or maybe you're in a deep trial, you need to reach up. And say, I need help. Help me. Give me some help. I need a brother or a sister in Christ to help me. And if you see someone in that trial, that pit, you need to reach out and, and help that person. This love is a mutual love. And then look down at verse 22. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And the heart describes the inner person. That part of you that where the genuine desires and motives originate. And I, and I think this description of love really instructs us to have agape love that comes from this genuine desire to care for people. 
It's not a love that's compelled because the pastor says, hey, we need to take care of this person. Everyone do this. That's not necessarily bad to do that. But it doesn't come because you feel like you have to or someone's pressuring you into it or you're being guilted into something. It's because this is what your heart truly wants to do. You truly love people. You truly want to help people. Many times, and as a pastor, you hear people give suggestions for things, and it's great. I love suggestions. And, and many times what happens is people give suggestions like, you know, we need to have a discipleship program for this. So we need to... Um, we need to pray more together. We need to reach our neighborhoods, and we need to have uh, seniors ministry or young adults ministry, or we need to have uh, the young older women teaching the younger women, or something like that. So those are all different types of ministries, and those are all good ministries. And, and sometimes people can have in their mind that that we should start a program in order to to show love in that in that way to people. It's kind of the idea. Hey, pastor, let's start a program so that we can love people. And of course, all pastors love to hear that. And I'm not, I'm not knocking programs and organized ministry. They're not bad. But, and sometimes they're good to organize that in that way to effectively reach people. So don't get me wrong there. But sometimes we can be so mechanical in ministry and so organized, if you want to say, in ministry, that we forget that ministering to people comes from our hearts. In other words, you minister to someone because that's what you, by nature, do. Christ has transformed your heart through the gospel. We're going to look at that in just one moment. But we, we've been born again. We're children of God. We love, and therefore we disciple people. We don't, we don't disciple people because we go, like, oh, is there a program for that? Well, there's not a program for that. I'm not going to do it. We disciple people because we go, I want to help people spiritually. Who's the one I can? Oh, I'll go out with that person, and I'll see if I can pray for them, and see if they have something going on in their life. Oh, I'm, a, I'm an older woman, and I go, you know what? I, I want younger women to have some wisdom that I've, God's given me. So who are some younger women in the church I can go with? I'm going to go out with her. Or, or you say, I, I, you know what? This person has a need. I, I don't want to fulfill that need. And, and sometimes we organize that in the ministries like we have, so don't get me wrong, okay? My point is, where does that come from? It says, you say, I love people. I love that person. I really want to help them. It comes from a, a heart that is genuine, a heart that desires to love them. So... We're going, to have, we're going to have this commitment of agape love, and then secondly, or thirdly, or sorry, fourthly, that's the third one, fourthly, the source of this love. And this is the last point I have here. The source of love is the supernatural work of the Word of God. Look at verse 23. He says, since, so we're to love one another, since you have been born again. Earlier, we said God is love, right? That's his nature, and therefore, therefore what does he do? God loves. And God loves in action because God, by nature, is love. And so in verse 22, he says, you're to love. How is that possible? Because God has changed your nature. He supernaturally changed who you are to be like him. When you were born again, the Holy Spirit changed you supernaturally by the word of God. And that's what he's teaching here. And so if I look down at verse 23, he says, you were born again. Again, this is the same word that we studied up in in verse 3, where it says, God, by his mercy, causes us to be born again. And we said that this word, actually speaking of conception, right? In John chapter 3, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, that's actually talking about giving childbirth, giving birth to a child. But this is a different word. This one is actually talking about conception. And let me just take a side note and say this is not talking about physical conception, but it's an interesting idea to think about this, and that is that why do we believe that that, that babies or humans, uh, human life starts at conception. 
interesting enough, spiritual life starts at conception here. And so this, this is a great, actually, another verse, if you want to say, that supports this idea that we believe life, physical life, begins at conception. Now here he's not talking about physical life, he's talking about spiritual life. But when did your spiritual life begin? It's when you were conceived by the power of God, through the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And so the reason you can love the way God does is because God has supernaturally brought you to life. And so that's, that's what Peter's teaching here in verses 23 through 25. That the seed that brought you to life, to spiritual life, was not fleshly. It was not of this world. Otherwise, what's going to happen to it? Your life is going to die spiritually. But, if, but actually, if it's a supernatural seed of the Word of God, then... The supernatural DNA, if you want to say it that way, is passed on to you. In fact, look down in verse 25. He says at the very end, this is the word. So the word of God is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. So he reminds them of what happened to them when they were converted, when they were regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He says the word was preached to you, the good news. It came into your heart. You received it. And when that happened, you were given new life in Jesus Christ by the power of God. And then notice in verse 23, the qualities of the word of God. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So he says there's, there's a seed, a supernatural spiritual seed of the word of God. Now I want you to think about it. Everything we're looking at around us, most everything I should say, is either made of seeds, I was going to say seeds or oil. <laughs> Because it's plastic, but are, are made of seeds. Think about it. The, the grass and the weeds, although there's not very many of those, David shares. So, but the grass is, is seeds, right? The trees are seeds. Our clothes come from seeds. The, the wood that we see, that, that my pulpit comes from seeds. My Bible comes from seeds. Think about that. We all come from seeds. Our food we're about to eat comes from seeds. You know, we have fruit and vegetables and even animals come from seeds. Think about it. Seeds are amazing things. And in our, in our world, in our physical world, seeds give life to all that we really see around us. And seeds are amazing, simple little... In fact, I was thinking about getting a seed and I forgot to get one. But just think, imagine if I had a seed in my hand up here. Just think about all the information and really the, the complexity within that simple little seed. Within that simple little seed, it has all the information for photosynthesis... Establishing roots, transferring water and materials from one to another, sprouting seasons, colors, sizes, time frames, and the list could go on. It's just amazing to think about. This huge old tree right here came from a little seed. Isn't that amazing to think about? First of all, God's amazing. <laughs> so God does amazing things like that. And by the way, can I just say, how did anyone ever believe that just happened to be? That's ridiculous. But what an amazing idea that God had with a seed. And a seed, I think probably, like I said, the most, the most amazing thing about it is that it has DNA in it that causes a living organism to come to life. And the qualities of that living organism come from that DNA in the seed. Now there's your science lesson for today, but actually it applies to the text we're talking about because the Bible uses the picture of a seed to teach that God has given us new life. The word of God is like a seed that is planted in the heart of a believer. And when the words, if you want to say DNA, is planted in your heart, it produces within you the qualities that the word has. So what qualities do the word has? We'll look down there in, in the verse 23. He says, 
The Bible says the seed of the word of God has the qualities of imperishable, living, and abiding. So when the seed of God's word is planted into a heart that's receptive to the word and receives the word, that person is given spiritual life, supernatural spiritual life. And the word of God passes on its qualities to us. Isn't that amazing to think about? Now, come on, can I just tell you that God is the best scientist because he is the scientist, right? <laughs> and, and so you see things like this in the word of God. It's just amazing to think about, like, we are discovering all these things, what, in the past couple hundred years? And then God, he obviously is the one who designed it all, so he knew it all. But what a great illustration here of how the word of God passes on to us the divine qualities that it has. So look down in verse number 23. God's word is imperishable. That means it can't decay, it can't die, like earthly things do. There's going to be a, there's a seed that goes in the ground, and it can grow something like that, but that tree will die someday. But the seed of the word of God produces something that is actually will, will never die. It's immortal, if you could say. And so God, the, the word of God passes on to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, immortality. Or how about this one? Next one description is it's living. In other words, it gives new life. So the seed of the word of God gives new life. And so then, therefore, when we receive the word, we're given new life. Or how about the next one? It's abiding. It means it remains. It endures. It's eternal. God's word is eternal. It abides. And when he eternally, when he saves us, we're given that eternal DNA. We have eternal life. Isn't that amazing to think about? In fact, if you look down at verse 24, you see this contrast between seeds of this world and how they produce something that lives but then dies, and the seed of the world God, of word, the word of God that produces something that lives forever. In fact, look at verse 24. All flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of the grass. So the grass withers and the flower falls. And we see that here in our, in our place right here, right? We see the... the, the uh, hills were all green last year, but that withered pretty quickly when the sun came out. So, so the grass, it grows from a seed and it falls, but verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. If your spiritual life comes from something natural, something fleshly, in other words, from yourself, then it will produce nothing, or at least that whatever it produces will fade and fall away and die. That's how natural things Word. But if it's produced by God, it is eternal and it's lasting. Now you might look at this, you might say, well, Pastor Ben, I don't see the Holy Spirit in here. I thought the Holy Spirit did this. I didn't know it was the word of God. Well, you're correct. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you new life. But what does the Spirit use to produce life in you? What's the instrument of the Holy Spirit in our world today? It's the word of God. That's why during this time we preach the word of God. God. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So what Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit is the one that causes you to have spiritual life. And God. And Jesus is saying the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, the Holy Spirit uses my words to bring you to life. And then it's interesting, he says, the flesh is no help at all. What does that mean? The flesh is no help at all. It, the flesh represents really us and our, our human efforts. Every religion in this world 
tries to appease their God, if you want to say, through some type of human effort. Whether it be offerings, where you bring some kind of sacrificial offering and hope your God will be happy with you or, or bless you. Or whether you do some religious activity and hope that God likes you after that and you can get to heaven. And it's all based upon this fleshly human effort. But what he's saying here, he's saying the flesh is no help at all. It can't produce actually spiritual life for you. People try to relate to God based upon their own efforts and their own works and their own self. He's saying that's not going to work. That's a fleshly seed that's going to produce nothing. It's not going to last. It's going to fade. It's going to flee. Those are human approaches to God. I was watching yesterday, not really watching, but I was scrolling and I saw a video of some kind of music concert. This guy was up there, and this guy's trying to pump everyone up there, and he's like, okay, let's get the Holy Spirit going here, get the Holy Spirit going, you know, and so everyone's going like this, and he's, and he's, and he's like, we're going to have a revival, get the Holy Spirit, and, and I'm looking at that, I'm going, oh, wait a second, this isn't like how it works, buddy, and, and sometimes we can think that we can generate this, like, this, this spiritual life, we can generate it, come on, if we just get excited enough, and we just pump ourselves around, we can get it, you know. And, and, but that's really a fleshly human approach. Like, how does God give spiritual life? It's through the word of God. And so he says that the flash, or the, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God abides forever. And verse 24 is actually a quote from the Old Testament to people who are uh, in Babylon as exiles, and, and what's their hope? What's their hope to ever have anything good happen to them, particularly God working in their life? Well, God had a promise for them, and he was giving promises to them. And though human nations would come and go, and right at that time it was Babylon that was over them, and, and people would come and go, human efforts will come and go and die off, but God's word and the work that God does through his word will remain forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. That's the confidence they have, and that's the confidence that we have. This past week, I, like I said, I spoke, and I had this youth pastor come up to me, and he was talking to me, and he said, he goes, oh, you, you speak, you speak uh, the Bible when you preach. You preach the Bible to the kids. Because I did elementary, middle school, and high school. He's like, you preach the Bible to the kids. And I was like, yeah. He's like, that's not normal. Well, that's, that's actually true. I don't know if you realize that, but it's like a lot of times people think you know, when you're going to speak to young people, it's like, okay, first of all, I've got to be the coolest dude in the, work, the room. I mean, look at me. I'm not the coolest dude in the room, okay? And, or sometimes you have to have a really moving story that can help them. And the truth is you can actually move kids in such a way that it does change them. They might go home and obey their parents more that next week, or, or maybe they go home and they make some decisions that they're not going to watch as, as much Netflix or whatever it is. Those decisions can happen, and that can be a good thing. But frankly, if it's your own word, if it's your own power, this is what I told this guy, if it's my own, if my own words, it might have a temporary effect, but it will fade and will flee. But if I teach them God's word, and God does something supernaturally in their heart, it will change their life forever now, and forever in eternity. Like, it will have a real impact and change. We believe the word of God is what God uses to change the hearts of People. In fact, there was one, one young lady I talked to for quite a bit after one of the sessions. And here's this lady. She's taking notes the whole time. And she's writing down things that, that I'm saying. And she's writing down what, how she thinks about that. And so she talked to me a little bit afterwards. And she's not a Christian. And she, one of the things she said to me, she said, you know, I guess I have, you know, she's kind of between atheist and agnostic. She wasn't really, you know, 
definite. She's really searching is what it is. And so she said, I, I guess I was, um, I guess I've always kind of considered the Bible to be just a good moral book, you know. And, and, you know, Jesus has some good things to teach and all that. And I said, you know, I think here's the thing. I, don't, I think you can't, nobody can believe that in this world. You've got to be on one side or the other. Either the Bible is the worst book in the whole world or it's the best book in the whole world. I mean, either it's the worst book because it tells everyone that if you sin against God, you're going to hell. That's not really a great book that's passed around to people. And, 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 and Jesus as well. Like Jesus is either God and he's the Savior or he's... He's a fool, because here's a guy that was going around saying, I'm the savior of the world. I came to die for the sins of the world. I am. I'm God. Those are the people we lock up, or they live on the street. But the point is, is that that's not a person that we put our faith in and look to, right? So either either the book, the, the Bible is just a book that's foolishness, and it's actually terrible, or it's the best book ever, because it tells us we have a problem, and it says, here's the answer. And Jesus is actually the Savior, and he actually saves us from our sins. And this girl, I wasn't able to talk to her again after the end, but the second message I preached, I could see her really taking notes and paying attention. And it was clear God was at work in her heart and my prayers that she will come to faith in Jesus Christ. But my point is saying that is that we believe the Word of God can give you new life. And you might be here, or maybe you're online, and you don't have Christ. You're without Christ. If you listen to the good news of Jesus Christ and you say, I receive that, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus Christ. If you receive that, the Bible says the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit will give you eternal life. Listen to this. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, so you hear the word of God, it comes into your heart and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And you're not going to come to judgment, but your paths from death to life. So there you see the power of of the word of God. And so if you're without Christ, let me invite you to come to him. You might be a young person, or maybe an old person, and you're like, I don't, I don't know the Lord. Now, the Lord calls you to receive the word in your heart and believe it. When that happens, the Bible says the Holy Spirit causes your, your heart to come to life and gives you supernatural power. Now, let's conclude with this. What's the whole point of him telling us this? Like, you're like, we totally got off track, didn't we, on the love of God? Like, how did we get on that? Because his point is this. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to give you new life, and so now you have the life of God within you. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the spiritual DNA, of you could say, of the Word of God. You are born of God. God has changed your nature to be like Him. And therefore, you are to be like Him. And what is he like? He's love. And therefore, you are to love. That This tree right here, I can't remember what it's called. It's white elm. Ash. White ash. There you go. It had a seed. And that seed produced what this looks like right now. With that kind of, those kind of leaves and those kind of seeds it's going to have on it. And that's what the tree produced. The seed of the word of God produces, uh, produces spiritual life that's like God. That's why 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who has been born of God and knows God, uh, and, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In other words, if you truly are born again, you know what you'll do? 
you'll love because God has changed your nature. So who are to love? We are to love. Who are we to love? Brothers and sisters in Christ. How are we to love? We're to love with this committed, sacrificial, unhypocritical, arm-stretching out, all-in, mutual, unconditional love for one another. I think we have to ask ourselves the question, is that the kind of love that we have for each other? Are you all-in in your love for one another? What's the source of it? It's new life in Jesus Christ. What is God calling us to do? Love one another. I'm going to end with this conclusion. I'm going to ask you to do a little assignment here. Okay, do you have a pen or a paper or you have a phone or something? I'm going to ask you to consider this. Write two ways. You can do it now or you can do it later. Write two ways that you can show love to someone else here at Lighthouse this week. Your spiritual family. What's two ways that you can show love to someone else? And maybe try to do something you're not already planning to do. Um, maybe something that you are doing now, but maybe you can increase it. Okay, so that might be that might be part of it right there. So it could be spiritual. We're going to pray for someone or pray with someone. It could be physical. We're going to give in some way. But how can you show love to the Lighthouse family? So think about this. Write it two ways down that you can do that. Now let me ask you this question. Are you going to be able to do that in your own strength? Absolutely not. You cannot do that by just saying, I'm going to try hard this week. You need to say, God, Holy Spirit, give me the strength and power to do that for you and in love for that person. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that your word is clear, it's alive, it's powerful, and it gives new life. We are a group of believers here today who say and testify that you have done this work in us, for us. We are like this church that the word was preached and at some point we received it and the word sprang up in our hearts to life. And now we have eternal life. We are confident that we will be with you soon in eternity. May it be, whether it be by death or whether it be by the coming of Christ, but we know soon we will see your face and we long for that. We long for the hope of heaven. In fact, Lord Jesus Christ, if you came back right now, we would love it. It would be so wonderful. But now we have a, a, some business to do. We have a mission you have for us. And in this text, it calls us to love one another. And so God, we can't do that on our own. If we try to do that on our own, it's like flesh. It's like grass that fades and withers and falls away. It's not going to be possible. And even so, it's not going to be lasting. We need the power of God upon us. So may we use your word and we do it in your grace and God use us to truly care for one another. We pray in Jesus' name.